Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You and that, because both of those roles are so vital. Amen. It's a wonder, and it is. it would probably shock us beyond the telling if we just knew how many people have, uh, have absences in their lives and voids and you never know how far your gestures and kindness may go to just help encourage somebody along the way. He's a great God. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for being here today and uh, appreciate this opportunity to stand before you and to preach the word of the Lord. I'm humbled by the call of God upon my life, challenged by that call, but I'm humbled by that call and uh, ask the Lord to help us today to just find the perfect will of God for this service from, <clears throat> from beginning to end because it is certainly imperative that we take advantage of this day as a nation we're celebrating fathers and fatherhood and uh, so I want to speak something into the hearts into the lives uh, of all the fathers all the men here who Perhaps today you're not a father, but one day you may be a father. And uh, I want to talk to all the husbands that are here today, whether you're a husband right now or a potential husband. Amen. Somebody may have you already picked out, and you don't even know it. <laughs> Chance, chances are there's a red dot on your forehead <laughs> right now, and you, you can't even see that. And so... Uh, <laughs> If that be the case, then please lend me uh, your attention for just a little while. I think beyond the shadow of any doubt, and I think beyond the scope of argument, we would all say that the families of America are under siege. And, uh, and uh, there is always, in, in my opinion, there is always a certain amount of or a certain percentage, it seems like, of people that seem to affirm or amen that statement, while others seem to be a little more oblivious to the powers of hell that are working diligently to destroy, one thread at a time, the fabric of the family. And uh, so I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will help us to do, if nothing else, awaken David, the psalmist, prayed a prayer, a very simple prayer, really, but a profound prayer, and he said, Lord, enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And uh, in an hour where uh, there is a potential for slumber and sleep, I say, Lord, help us. There was, in the end, when the children of Israel were uh, gaining, when they were gaining ground in the end, there was one giant that remained and uh, one thing that remained one obstacle that remained 
and that was a ruler by the name of Og. The only thing we know about Og, really, in detail, is the size of his bed. That seems strange, doesn't it? Because other people we hear about their leadership, whether their leadership was positive or negative, we know something about their family, we know something in detail about their lives. And yet the only thing we know about Og are the dimensions of his bed. And uh, I'm not trying to build a sermon from that, but I think it speaks to, uh, or at least should speak to something in our heart today that perhaps one of the things that we will wrestle against in this last hour is the spirit of slumber and uh, help us to awaken. It was in the closing hour of the ministry of Jesus Christ that the disciples struggled the most to stay awake and uh, even failed in that attempt and were to a degree rebuked. And so I say, Lord, I want to join David and say, enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Don't let me go to sleep at the wheel. And certainly in this hour, uh, I pray for the families that the Lord would touch us and that the Lord would anoint us because a family is the symbol of God's complete design for the church. If a family is dysfunctional, and um, just follow me here. I'm painting, I realize, with a broad brush to some degree. But if the family is dysfunctional, then the church and the people in the church will be the same. That, that dysfunction is not going to stay at home. That dysfunction is not going to hang out in the den till you get back. But we will bring that same measure of dysfunction into the house of God. And uh, so we've got to be very, very careful. But by the same token, when every member of the, of the family submits to God and then takes ownership of their respective roles within the family, and I think that is a very, very important comma. <laughs> so hear me. When every member of the family first submits to God and then embraces their given role within the family, that the husband will be a husband and that the wife will be a wife, and that the children will be children, and that the husband is not a weakling being led by the wife, and the wife is not a busybody that's busy beating down the role of the husband and the father in the eyes of the children so that she can remain the highest point in the picture. Amen. Or if, if by chance the parents have not succumbed to the rule of the children, because all of those scenarios happen. Amen. When I talk about wives submitting to the husband, I'm not talking about it. Please don't picture a husband sitting back in his lazy boy rattling a glass of, an empty glass of ice. Amen. I do that every now and then. <laughs> that probably explains this bruise on my head here this morning. I just, for the sake of this sermon, I just wanted to see if it would still work. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't, I'm teasing. But so when we, we submit to God and then we embrace or we take ownership of our respective roles and we do not negate our responsibility in those roles, then it puts us in a position where God can bless us. The, the family then becomes a powerful testimony of God's anointing and God's grace 
And then, of course, that same structure bleeds into the church. And so we must be very, very careful that we guard our homes with everything that we have. We guard our homes. I can assure you that when the husbands and wives reject God's design, at the very least, the family structure will be weak. And at its worst, the family structure will ultimately collapse. And there is no limit to how far down or how severe the fragmentation will be whenever that starts coming unraveled. Once a family begins to spin out of control, hear me, please. Realize that that same dysfunction can carry on for generations. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And in every generation, there will be perhaps one that will rise and say, you know, we've got to stop this madness. And yet, despite perhaps the effort and the role of that one, there are still others who remain spinning out of control. And so may the families of this church be strong and be anointed of God. Amen. I pray, I'm sincere when I tell you this, that I pray for the families of our church. I pray for our husbands and our fathers, not just on Father's Day. I pray for our wives and our mothers and our children because our families are under siege. In all of this, the role of the father, it is Father's Day, and so my focus is going to be toward the men. But a lot of what I say, of course, I think can also fit the lives of mothers as well. But in this, the role of the father is vital to the health of our marriages and the producing of godly values within our children. And to that end, I want to speak to the heart of every husband and every father that's in this service. Now, I want to just make one thing clear in case it needs to be made clear. I'm not the high watermark for husbands, and I'm not the high watermark for fathers. I have made my fair share of mistakes, and thankfully, my wife and my son and my daughter-in-law will hopefully keep that and those mistakes within the confines of our home. So please don't stop them after church. <laughs> I don't always have it together. I don't always have good days. And so I, I'm not standing before you to pretend to be the high water mark. But a husband and a father plays such an important role within the dynamic of what we call the family. And I know I have mentioned this before and on other occasions and other settings, but it's, it's not by accident that uh, modern uh, programming and a lot of the things that we call entertainment are the trajectory of such programming is set to devalue the role and the office of a father. And I'm not suggesting to you that this is what I entertain myself with I do not but at the same time I do not live in a vacuum I don't live in one of those rooms back there during the week and pop out on Sunday and Wednesday and so I do see that there is a tremendous effort that is made toward uh, portraying men and husbands as just nothing more than bumbling idiots who who just try to to founder their way through life and uh, I'm telling you that that, that's not funny. That's not funny. There's a subtle message that's being dropped into the hearts of, of children. That you, you can't depend on dad. I, I mean, uh, 
maybe a, 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 an illustration that may date me somewhat, but Tim the tool man Taylor made a lot of people grin, but he sure made fatherhood seem foolish. Amen. Well, I, I must have got on something that you was close to there. But it is still the truth. I, I assure you that when, when we reject our role as a father, that the family will suffer. They will suffer. It will be weakened. And so I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will help us to realize that we play a tremendous role. We're, we do more than mow the yard. We do more than just trim the hedges. We, we do more than just uh, do repairs around the house or, or whatever the case may be. The title of husband and the title of father, and I don't mean to be crass, but the title of husband and father are, are titles that are pretty easy to get. But becoming a husband and a father, now that's a journey. That is a journey. A journey that is filled with highs and filled with lows. That's why we must be determined as men that my goal in life is to remain for an, a forever student and not a professor. Because I want to be able to always learn how to be a better father. Amen. I don't want to just feel like at some point I got it. And now there's no more room for me to learn anything else. But I want to be a forever student. Because life will consistently throw you different scenarios and you don't have the answers for those. You, don't, you really don't. And so this mindset will allow us to become what God has, allowed, will, has, has called us to be. And I'm thankful for the power of becoming. <laughs> Amen. I, I mean that. I'm thankful that God allows us to grow and to become more than we've ever been before. And so, men, we cannot negate our responsibilities and expect to win because it just doesn't happen that way. People who win in life, in any facet, people who win in life, winning is an end result of diligent effort, diligent effort. And so if you think about, uh, if you think about uh, the, the realm of sports, winning is not arbitrary. Somebody trained and worked and dreamed, even as children, long before they become grown men or women, they dreamed as children. Olympic gold medals and uh, Olympic medals, period. Just As a matter of fact, just being chosen to be in the Olympics is not something that, that comes easy, but these were childhood dreams that people uh, d devoted much of their lives to, and so winning doesn't, uh, winning doesn't just take place accidentally. Winning is very, very intentional. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 is a verse that we probably could not spend this day and not at least visit the Bible says, husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The command we have here is, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. There's actually two commandments here, and the first being husbands are commanded to love their wives. And God honors obedience that comes from the heart. And so, if I am commanded to love my wife, I don't want to do that out of obligation, but I want to do that because that's what the Lord expects of me. Amen. I want it to do that because I want to be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, but I also want the value and the benefit that comes from loving my wife. Amen. God honors that obedience, and he, he doesn't ever fulfill a promise up front. 
God always demands that man is proactive. He said if we would seek, we would find. That if we would ask, it would be given. If we would knock, it would be open. And so God always requires some activity on our part before he fulfills his part. We have to step out on faith. And then when we step out on faith, those promises are brought to fruition. The second part of that command is for husbands to love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so Jesus Christ is the head of the church just as the man is the head of the wife and the family. But what example? Now, before you get all egotistical and exalted on that headship, hang on, okay? What example did Jesus Christ give for this headship and leadership? He served the church and he gave his life as a ransom. That's a long way from being fed grapes and fanned all day, gentlemen. That's a long way. As the Lord over his disciples, how do we find him in this respective role of lordship? The Bible says that he took the role that traditionally was delegated to the lowest servant. And he washed the disciples' feet. This is exactly what it means to be the head. Amen. I'll pause while some of you climb down off the fence. The head is servitude. The head is I loved so much that I gave my life for. The head is I love so much that I will wash your feet and not you wash my feet. And so that's exactly what it means to be the head. To be a leader, our responsibility is to serve and to become a spiritual example of God's love and God's grace. And so if a husband is leading as Christ led by serving and the wife is submitting, follow this, can you see the picture that God is clearly painting before us? It won't be hard to serve It won't be hard to submit, rather, to someone who has a servant's heart. But it's hard to submit to a screaming militant officer. Even if you do submit, it's hard to submit to somebody that is nose-to-nose spitting every third word. But when you know someone is serving you and has your best interest in mind, Submission is not an issue. Amen, not at all. I realize that some people will assume that this picture is just much too idealistic, but it is scriptural. (laughs) Yes, it is. Both the husband and the wife become mutually submissive by self-giving, giving ourselves completely and wholly to those that we love. The Bible instructs us to love Christ, love as Christ rather loved, and gave his own life as a ransom for that. And so a husband is commanded to do just the same. David said in the 127th Psalm in verse number one, he said, unless God builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so most people build a house and labor for all the wrong things and all the wrong reasons. Amen. We can acquire much, have all the trinkets and all the toys of life, and have the big home, the picket fence. But marriages still end, and families can still fragment 
despite the fact that people have earned enough to buy bigger homes and nicer cars and all the amenities that go along with that. And so things are not adhesive enough to hold us together. They never have been and they never will be. And so we can't get enough stuff to stack around our lives and our marriages and our families and think that that will hold us all together. It just simply doesn't work that way. But if we can have nothing of this world's goods, this may sound extreme, but hear me, if we can have nothing of this world's goods, but we have true love for one another, we can and will make it. I remember many, many years ago, and I won't call their name, it's not relevant, but I remember many, many years ago, a young couple that does not attend this church, at the time they lived in our community, and I had known him since childhood, and uh, he approached me and asked me if I would marry them. And so they didn't want a fancy wedding because they couldn't afford a fancy wedding. They had nothing. They were, by all intent and purposes, extremely poor. But I met with them a few times before uh, their wedding, and we talked about marriage and, and life and things of that nature. And what I saw, what I saw in them has not just at that moment impacted my life, from, but from that moment until now. And I thought, here are two young people who have nothing. They have nothing. They did not come from families who had anything at all. And so they were the definition of what we may call poor. And I don't mean that in a slanderous way, but it is what it is. But I'm telling you what they had for one another was real. They loved one another. They had found refuge in one another. They had found solace in one another. And that has been probably 20 years ago today by now or thereabout. And they are still together and have several children. Amen. The Bible, uh, the Bible that, that talks about uh, the value of the family, to, in my opinion, was played out in that particular scenario because they had love and reverence for one another and that was enough. They didn't have that leg up that a lot of young people have today. They didn't have somebody to give them a head start in life. They just had very little when we left this very auditorium and they drove away in an old smoking, um, I mean literally smoking Ford pickup truck. <laughs> Vernon is probably as much oil as it was gas, but when they drove away, they, they didn't have one of the finest starts in life, but they had love for one another. And so we must be very, very sober and aware that it's not things that will hold us together. We've got to have a love because those things can all fade and those things can all lose their luster. And so God must build the house. Only a home built on God can stand truly when hardships blow. When hard, not if, but when hardships come. When the winds of adversity just come in like a flood and we did not see them at all. We often think that we think we often think that we face things that are very unique, but most of the time they aren't. Paul said to the Corinthian church, There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. And so that means that whatever I face, somebody ahead of me has already been there. They've already faced something very similar, if not the very same thing. And so the same struggles are in every family, and they are in every marriage, perhaps to varying degrees. But let me assure you of something, that every marriage and every family has its challenges. Amen. And so you may think that the, you know, if I could just 
get over there on the other side of the fence, if I could just if, 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 let me promise you something. It will all be the same whenever you arrive at the end, when you get where you're going. To much and much, much, many degrees it will be the same. And so it's how we deal with these struggles and how we face these struggles that will determine our success. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 22, men, it's still there. I read it last night. I checked it again this morning to make sure it didn't run away. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. (laughs) This past Wednesday, my wife and I celebrated 34 years of marriage. And according to Solomon... 34 years ago, Wednesday, I found a good thing, and I agree. But I also am happy to know that I obtained favor with the Lord. I didn't just get a cook, because at the time, she couldn't cook. (laughs) But thank God for the value of becoming, becoming and learning. I told the story many times, but I'll tell it again. She, we first moved in our, our first home, and I was off to work, and somebody had given us a coffee pot for um, our wedding gift, and so she made me a pot of coffee, and she handed it to me on the way out the door. I was in the car down the road just a piece before I took the first sip. <clears throat> if I get real still right now, I could probably still taste that first, <laughs> first sip of coffee. I realized at that very moment I was not man enough to drink that. I wasn't even man enough to take another sip. So I stopped the car and poured it out in the road. I told her that night when I got home, when I come back by that same place, that puddle of coffee was still in the road. (laughs) And I, I could be exaggerating a little bit there. But I'm thankful for the favor of the Lord. I'm thankful for the power of God. You know, it just tickles people to find out that we live in the real world. (laughs) We really do. Cornbread burns in our oven too, just as quick as it will yours. And so God provides us with this gift of marriage and then gives us the responsibility then to nurture that and to help it along. And so I've got to be very careful about what I feed that and how I treat that because it is a gift from God. And so if you're a caretaker of God's gift, then if it belongs to God, in a a sense, he gave it to us. If that is the case, then generally speaking, and again, painting with a little bit of a broad brush because I I know stuff happens, but generally speaking, what you put into your marriage is what you get in return. I realize there's living exceptions to that, but that is the exception, not the rule. But generally speaking, what you put in is what you get back. Like a garden, if you've you got to start with good seed. Amen? You've got to start with good seed. And then you've got to take care of that good seed and keep it watered, and it will produce what you have invested. The last couple of years, I, I've mentioned this to Brother Jerry and different ones, Brother Adrian Land and, and those that have been growing watermelons in close proximity to our home. And uh, so we've had an opportunity just to watch that up close and personal. And, uh, and when, uh, when you realize just how difficult it is 
to get the right thing to do the right thing. Because if you just close your eyes for a moment or if you just get the slightest little thing and what you're trying to do right will all dissipate and wrong will prevail. I mean, weeds and all sorts of things that are, are constantly combating and diseases that are constantly fighting against. And so it is an everyday, diligent journey if you're going to produce something. Amen. And so it just underscores what I'm saying today in my mind even, even more diligently because you've got to start with good seed, but then you've got to care for it and keep it watered and make sure. You've got to check on it daily. You've got to check on it perhaps in some cases multiple times a day to make sure that it produces to the end that you have invested. Because if you neglect it and you don't deal with the things as they spring up, then it will soon be choked out and overran. Just a few days ago, I was listening to Brother Jerry share a story about, uh, about seeing some sort of disease, a plant that just didn't look right on the end of a row. It just, it just didn't look right. Something was wrong. And so... They contacted people from the University of Florida, I believe, and so it took a, a little while for them to get here, but then within just a matter of four to six hours or so, that disease had just begun to spread all over a certain area. And so it's not like you can ride by and see something wrong and just say, you know what, when I get a chance or after lunch or, you know, sometime tomorrow afternoon, I better look into that. Because if it is the right thing while you're busy doing something else, that disease has taken over. And so I want to challenge every husband and every father here to realize that when something's wrong, for the most part, it's not going away. And we have to deal with that. We have to figure out what it is and whatever it, it takes, we must arrest that. You, if you neglect it, it's going to choke and overrun. It takes effort, even when you don't feel like it. Now, our pastor gave us some tall orders when we got married, he said, you should never go to bed angry. And you know, when you're sitting there, when you're just sitting there dumb in love, you're going, oh, you should <laughs> you've got no clue how much that weighs, that statement weighs. You've got no idea the size of crane that it'll take to haul that statement into your heart at the right time. Well, I, I say you have no clue. I believe you all have a clue. I, I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling much better already. That's very difficult. That's a very difficult thing to do. And I'm not suggesting that we've always got it right, but we try to get it right enough to go to sleep and deal with it tomorrow. It's amazing what a cup of, court, a cup of coffee on the front porch can do the next morning. It's amazing. And so you just kind of, even times you don't feel like shaking hands and walking away. <laughs> the sooner you get to work, the better off it'll be. You can't just assume it's going away. Amen. Any husband here just ever heard the deafening sound of silence before? It can speak pretty loud, can it, gentlemen? <laughs> Got to figure out what's causing all that silence around here. Because sometimes it's more dangerous when they're not throwing potatoes. 
pots and pans. That doesn't happen. I'm just illustrating that. The Bible warns if that a husband fails to honor our wives in the grace of God, this is scripture, that our prayers will be hindered. That's serious business. God takes marriage and family and relationships very serious. So, I mean, you, you just can't talk about your old lady and your battle axe and all that kind of business and then say, oh, Heavenly Father, here I am. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God said, God's not going to allow you to treat his gift one way and then speak to him another way. And so we have got to have that same tenderness, that we've got to have that same tenderness toward our companions that we do toward God and that we want back from God. Because you cannot, hear me, gentlemen, we cannot separate our relationship from God with our relationship from our wife. They're inseparable. They're not two different things. Our wives are a gift of God. He that findeth the wife findeth the good thing and has the favor of the Lord, has gained the favor of the Lord. And so they are intricately linked. They go hand in hand. That is why, and let me pause here for our young folks long enough to say this, that's why you need to be careful who you marry. Because you can't violate the word of God and then have God sanction what you're doing. And so this is not an apostolic take. It is the word of God. Amen. We, we, we've got to find an equality in our yoking. Amen. Because, why? I need the favor of God upon my life. And so we can't, uh, I know I've used this many times since 2003, pardon me, but it impacted my life. Brother John's, Daryl John's preached about living a life that God can bless. And so we, I can't pray for God to bless me if I'm not living in a way that God can bless me. I can't pray bless this and then lock the hands of God. And you know, we are just like you and sometimes we, we get caught in that crosshair and our lives are running at warp speed and, and we haven't, had a bite to eat all day, but we're yet on the road, so you had to pull through some fast food joint, and we all agree that's not the healthiest place to dine. And so we, from that moment until now, we quit praying for God to bless that <laughs> because we realize he can't, but we just hold it up, and it's kind of just something we do in the car. We just say, here, Lord, do what you can. Just do, <laughs> do, do, do what you can with this. Please understand that this is not a lifestyle choice, but this is what we're having to do for the day. And so just do what you can. But we can't live our lives that way. You can't just live your lives to the wind and that hope that somehow it all will just come together. And that's not how it works. That's not at all how it works. And so you need to find somebody that has the same values that you have. Somebody that has the same desires and the passions and the drives that you have, not only naturally, but spiritually. I've heard this many, many times, and so this is not unique to me, uh, original with me, but I would, I would most happily borrow it. But to a young lady that is thinking about uh, trying to catch the eye of some young man, what you need to do, what you need to do is ask him for his contribution records. Because if they're not given to the church faithfully, then you're already walking into something cross-threaded. Amen. You need to find out about his work ethic. 
If you're going to have to kick him out of bed, you're going to get tired of doing that after a while. Amen. You're going to get tired of doing that. I don't care how tall they are, how handsome they are. All of that, it, all of that is paper thin when it comes to these other areas. It's paper thin. Amen. And so we need to make sure. You need to make sure by the same token, gentlemen, you need to be very, very careful about what hand you're holding. Amen. Don't hold a hand you're not willing to marry. Amen. Why? Why? Because something can be born in our hearts. Something can be born in our lives, and it's dangerous, very dangerous. And so you need to make sure, you need to make sure that, that that's going to be someone that you want raising your children. That's going to be someone that you, you, you know. <laughs> if they don't clean their house when you're dating, they're not, gonna, they're not just going to have some epiphany on the way to the altar. If they have to climb through their clothes to get to the bedroom, you're going to have to climb through your clothes to get to the den. Chances are. Chance, you know, none of this is in my notes. Some people's laughing, some people's mad right now. I've got enough sense to know that. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which, which way to go here. But you can't separate this, so we've got to be very, very careful that we don't align ourselves with something that God can't bless. We can't do something and then tie the hand of God. Amen. I'm not trying to be cute or unkind, but I'm telling you that it's Scripture and the Bible is clear. The Bible sees, the Word sees way further down the road in our lives than we can dare see. And so I need to be very careful. And so this is the role of the husband. As a father, as a father, when a father puts himself under the umbrella of God's authority... Then and only then can a father bring his children under the authority that God has given him. So we can't be out from under the umbrella of God's authority and then try to shove our children under the umbrella of God's authority. We have to get under it ourselves and then bring our children under that authority. Now, I've got several scriptures to read, and so if you'll stay with me here in Deuteronomy 11 and 13, the Bible says, and it shall come to pass if ye shall hearken, if, if, it'll come to pass if, ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass into thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and that you turn, that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and be shut up and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. He said, if you will obey me, I'll open heaven. And I'll take care of these things. But take heed, take heed, beware. In verse 18, he says, Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And then verse 19, And ye shall teach them to your 
teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And so there are some principles revealed in this passage that we must, uh, that we must apply to point our children toward the Lord. God must be the focus. Now, I want to pause and say something. I'm thankful for the men of this church. I am very thankful for the men of this church. <laughs> Praise God. I hope Brother Allen doesn't mind me borrowing this. They, I probably I picked up a lot of this riding the van last Sunday. They, I'm, I'm afraid next time I get on the van, they'll all just pass notes and not say anything out loud. <laughs> but Brother Allen was talking about Brother Ward, Sister Donna's father, and and uh, and uh, Brother Allen made this statement. He said, one thing Brother Ward taught us, he taught us that it was okay for a grown man to cry. And I'm thankful for the men of our church because I'm telling you that there was, a, there was an hour, there was a day not, not so long ago that the women had to carry the load of worship and praise and that's the truth. Amen. They carried the load of prayer. They carried the load of fasting. They really did. Thank you, ladies, for being faithful until, until we caught up. But I'm thankful for the men of this church that are not ashamed to lift their hands. And they're not. They're not ashamed to let tears run down their face. Amen. They're not ashamed to get out in the aisle. They're not ashamed. They're worshipers at heart. And you know what you're doing? You are honing another generation. You're honing another generation. You're teaching a young man that it's okay to step out in the aisle. That it's okay to lift your hand and say amen and your voice and magnify and worship the Lord. It's all right to do that. It's in order to do that. It's, it, it, we, we do more than just walk around with brawn and, and brain, but we've got some spirit. We've got some worship that we want to release. We've got some prayer and some dedication and fasting and, and consecration before the Lord. And so I'm thankful for the men of Hatchman Apostolic Church. The focus of, of God's plan for parenting is not that we be perfect parents. Whew, thank God for that. God's plan is that we stay God-focused. And so when you become a parent, you start with no experience whatsoever. Seems strange, doesn't it? Read all the books you want to read. Every, anything will help you, but I promise you we're ill-equipped for the job. So we become good fathers by becoming Christ-centered and godly men. That helps us to be good fathers. Wisdom comes from God, and, and only those who will seek God will find that wisdom. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. We've got to seek God for wisdom. On more than one occasion, the fathers that are sitting here have been without answers. On more than one occasion, fathers that are sitting here have been perplexed by the the storm that had blown into the lives of their children and or their family. And so, and so we've got to be godly men, seekers of the wisdom of God. However, you can't just ask God for wisdom to be a good father and then reject God's wisdom for the rest of the areas of our lives. Amen. Perhaps another way of putting this is this. God doesn't provide situational wisdom. He's not a clerk behind the counter at the hardware store. Just because you got a plumbing leak this morning, you ran down there and said, hey, 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 I need you now. I've got to have this part. I've got to have that part. I've got to have this piece. I've got to have... God does not provide situational wisdom. God provides lifestyle wisdom. 
And so we can't just put God on some shelf and then run grab him when we need a little wisdom, but we need to be seekers of his way, staying under that umbrella, that spiritual umbrella, and letting the spirit and the power and the anointing of God touch our lives. And then God can give us not situational wisdom, but lifestyle wisdom. And so if you don't make God the center of your everyday life, you can't expect God to, uh, you can't expect God to intervene when problems show up. Amen. I, I want to have a relationship with the Lord where he recognizes my voice. How about you, men? I want, it, I want that. Those who choose wisdom as a lifestyle will inherit wisdom. Proverbs 8 and 12, the Bible says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel. He said, it's mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign. This is wisdom talking. By me, kings reign and princes uh, degree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall Find me. He's not talking about setting the alarm for 4.30 a.m. He said those that seek me ahead of time will find me. I want wisdom every day. I don't know what I'm gonna face today. I don't know what today holds. I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what's at 12.30 p.m. today. And so I'm asking you this morning, Lord, help me now, anoint me now, give me wisdom now. And so he said, seek me ahead of time. Get a hold of me ahead of time. Go ahead and go ahead and get me on hold and retainer now. And when you need me, he said, when you need me, you shall find me. <laughs> oh, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Don't wait for trouble to find wisdom. Don't wait till the house is on fire to get a plan. But to those who seek and then submit to God's plan. Without the wisdom of God, I'm in real trouble here apparently. <laughs> Without the wisdom of God, the clock is my enemy, but I will catch another gear and stay with me here. Ushers, you may need to bring our Sunday school students in, but I'm not preaching in the second service if that helps the carnal. Amen. Without the wisdom, <laughs> without the wisdom of God, we cannot point our children to the Lord. Psalms 127 says children are a heritage of the Lord, and a reward, a reward from the Lord. Children, they're like arrows in our quiver, and I know you've heard this many times, but listen, the quiver, the quiver is not designed to perpetually store arrows. The quiver is just a momentarily, temporarily place to house arrows. Quivers, just hold them for a season. And so children are in a man's hand like arrows in the hand of a warrior. It is a man's responsibility to make sure those arrows are straight. The Bible talks about polishing them <laughs> and then putting them back in the quiver for a little while. Amen. Take them out after a while and polish them again. Make sure they're not crooked. Make sure they're not warped and then put them back in the quiver again. Amen, are you following me here? We got to make sure that the arrows are straight. We got to make sure because we, make, we got to point them at the right target and they must hit that. Now here's an undeniable fact. 
that in time, the arrows are going to leave the quiver. And I know there's a few parents going, when? 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 <laughs> but we will eventually take heart, shoot them into the world. And the question is this, which way will they go? And that is a frightening thing for every parent, for every parent that has had children leave the nest. Amen. And many times I've had the privilege of marrying, uh, pardon my uh, title here or, or, or tag, but I've had the privilege of marrying church, church kids, people who have grown up in church. And so I tell them when they, before they're getting married, now listen, you got to realize, Sunday morning, mama's not going to be there to wake you up. Daddy's not going to be there to run around the house. Come on now, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're going to wake yourself up. And you're going to have to come to church on your own because that's what you want to do. And so there is that, there is that season where every parent has waited with bated breath. We let go of the arrow in hopes, in hopes that it is going to find its target. And so we had to focus on the target. Fathers, if we're not focused on the center of God's will, it's almost impossible for our children to hit the center of God's will. If we're all over the map, how are, how are they going to find the target? If we're here and there, and if, if we're here at church sometimes and not at church sometimes, if we pray when we want to, we pray we don't pray if we don't want to, if we worship here and there, and we're just all over the map, and we give our children nothing to center their lives around. Amen. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for models, people before us that model how to get it done. They need, children need a, an example to model their lives after. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so if we're torn between the church and the world and the church and the world, then we'll, we're going to ultimately be a very poor example for our children because children see through hypocrisy. You can fool a lot of things in life, but you're going to have to get up mighty early to fool children and animals. I hope you didn't aren't offended by that link, but nevertheless, you you you're not going to fool children forever. They see through it, and so if we're one thing at church and we're something else at home, then we're teaching our children that our faith is not real. It's just superficial. It's just what we do here and there. It's critical to be the same man at home that we are at church. To see that, let me take that into a broader spectrum. It's, it's critical that we're the same person on the job that we are at home. Amen. You can't, you can't treat business associates and, and customers and, and uh, people that have the potential to, to feed your family. You can't treat them one way and talk to them another, one way and then come home and talk down to our children and our wives. Is this all right? Amen. Well, happy Father's Day. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. Our children see through that. You can't just be ranting and raving, ranting and raving. The phone ring all of a sudden, hello. <laughs> you know, in our, in our case, in our case, my wife, for many, many, many years, I don't know how long now, our answer machines, even though we burned out several of them through the years, she always put the same message, you've reached Boyd's happy home. With bated breath, they are waiting for the next remark. <laughs> With bated breath. 
And so if, if our son is a child here, hears you have reached Boyd's happy home and I've got his mama in a headlock. <laughs> Just before she successfully gets me in a figure four. I mean, it's... <laughs> Sorry for the mental images there, but it's, it's really going to be a, a skewed message. Boyd's happy home. Boyd's happy home. I've got to tell this story. It just, it'll be worth it. I promise it'll be worth it. Our phone rang. I've told this once before here for sure, but our phone rang, and somehow or another, they had, somehow they had gotten our number mixed up with Brother and Sister Rayleigh's number. And so my wife, I'm hearing one side of the conversation, just one side of the conversation, and I realized right at the front, she said, I think you had the wrong number. And finally, she says, Joy, Joy Rayleigh. And I'm, yes, she said, ma'am, I'm telling you, there is no joy in this home. <laughs> and the lady on the other end just would not take no for an answer. And she must have said that a half a dozen times. She said, ma'am, I'm sorry. There is no joy in this home. And after a while, at first it was cute, but the more I started hearing her say, there's no joy in this home. There's no joy in this home. When she hung the phone, I said, what do you mean there's no joy in this home? Now, now we're fussing and fighting because there's no joy in our home. Thank you a lot, Sister Rayleigh. I just thought about that. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Amen. So we've got to make sure there's a consistent thread in our homes that, that because children see through hypocrisy, it's all right. Amen. <laughs> Hear me. It, 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 isn't, it isn't always easy. But we shape our children's future with hard choices that we make. Hard choices. And it's those times that, that we do what's right, even when it costs us. Those children are watching. They're taking notes. They're taking mental notes. When we sacrifice our self-interest to do what is right, we're showing children that our faith is real and our trust in God can, can be, we can invest in that even when we can't see around the corner. We, we also show our faith to our children by our speech and our attitudes, how we treat one another, how we speak to one another because our children will model everything that we do it's a frightening thing and an age-old illustration, but when children start talking, that's kind of pretty scary, isn't it? Because sometimes they start spewing out some of the things they've heard around the house. and like We clasp our hand over their mouth and then sheepishly say, I don't know where they hurt. <laughs> have, have, no, have no idea. Going to have to start, stop leaving them with their grandparents. You can't trust them grandparents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Y'all come in if you need to, Brother Davis. Our children will model everything we do as a father. If our faith is not real, they have no real foundation for their faith. So if you show them a poor marriage, then they're not going to respect marriage enough to try to invest in a good one themselves. And, and they're going to figure out how to treat, our boys will figure out how to treat women, their wives, by how we treat their mother. And our daughters will figure out what's right and wrong ways of being treated by how we treat their mothers. And so if our daughters have just always been berated and talked down to, then they won't have any trouble signing their name on a dotted line to a man that will talk down to them and berate them. But the first time old Slick tries that, 
when that's not how she was raised, she's going to start shopping down another aisle. Because that's not how you talk to a lady. And that's not how you treat a lady. My daddy taught me this. My daddy taught me this. Amen. And so we got to be careful. And let me say this in all fairness because we, I, we, I'm, my attempt here is to try to stay in balance. But there are many in the Bible, there are many examples of godly parents that raised ungodly children. Now that's the truth. And so I'm not trying to perpetuate guilt in the heart and the life of any parent here. Eli was a priest. He was a man of faith. But his sons were so evil that God destroyed them and stripped the priesthood from Eli's family. And so, uh, we've, we, you can't sling yourself on some guilt trip, but we have to do our very best. We have to give our all. Amen. <clears throat> Far too many, uh, I think in the case of Eli, there were certain things that Eli didn't step up to the plate about. And so for far too many men who fail, we, we fail to pass godly heritages onto our children. And let me share something with you that I was taught. Now, and I, I was taught this in my earlier years, but I have lived long enough and pastored and been in the ministry long enough to see this live, live out and play out. And so if your neighbor's asleep, punch them because I, I, they need to hear this part. As a general rule, as a general rule, there is a tendency for each generation to drift a little farther from the faith of their parents. I'm not saying they always will, but the tendency is there. And so when parents live their whole life just on the edge, and you're raising a generation that has a tendency to drift, your lackadaisical approach to spiritual matters may just automatically send them over the cliff. So that's why we had better set our lives a little to the inside. This may be all right. It may be okay to, to, to walk over here. But you know what? For the sake of my children, I'm going to walk over here. Because I got somebody following me. I, I got somebody that's following me. And they may, they may drift a little bit. And they may drift. And so our passage in Deuteronomy 11, we're told earnestly obey with all of our heart, soul, and to teach them to our children. Not just tell it but to teach it when they lie down, when they get up, when you're going along the way. Children need to be taught by repetition. It takes actions and verbal lessons all working together to paint a godly picture. The people of Israel did not obey this command. They saw the miracles of God firsthand. They kept the law, some with their whole heart, some out of necessity. And the next generation saw their parents' faith and then they carried that faith, but they carried it to a weakened measure. And then the next generation didn't understand the purpose of the law, so they just turned away altogether. And I'm going to tell you something. This is exactly true in my life, and, and God just dropped this in my heart years ago. And, and, and what the Lord put in my heart is true for me. But the Lord spoke to my life and said, if, it said that the first generation received this message by revelation. The second generation received it by heritage. But if the third generation 
doesn't embrace this inheritance, the fourth generation will disdain this message. And when the Lord spoke that to my heart, this was a revelation for my grandparents. This really was a revelation for them. My mother grew up in this. She inherited that because she grew up in their home and under the umbrella of that influence. And here, I am a third generation removed from that revelation. If I am not careful, well, why about this? And what about that? And what about this landmark? What about that corner post? And if I start trying and testing and moving and adjusting, the fourth generation behind me will think it's all tomfoolery. Why? Because there's this drifting nature. So fathers, we can't be absent tees. Amen. Fathers, we gotta rise up. Hallelujah. And when we get to church, we can't just sit on our hands, but we need to be worshipers. Not just workers, but worshipers. Hallelujah. 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 Why? because I want this succeeding generation to to get it in their heart, to get it in their mind. Amen, they need to experience it for themselves. They need to know that this is real. This is not just grandma, grandpa. Amen, this is not mom and dad alone, but this is something that is is a, a branded fire from glory. Amen, so we need our own faith. And so the role of the father is to teach his faith to his children and to start early. The later we wait, the harder it is to get them to catch the vision. And a father can't effectively train a child from a distance or you can't train them in a passing moment. There's an ongoing discipleship through relationship that fathers and children have. It begins with a father's relationship, absolutely with the Lord, because we can't pass on what we don't have. When, it come, when we live our faith inside of God's design, it becomes a straight flow from God down to the child. A family is a symbol of God's divine plan for the entire church. And if we can't live God's purpose out in front of our family, then we are gonna be severely crippled when we get to church. Amen. Don't be ashamed of your children to hear you pray. See you cry. Come on, are you kidding Oh my goodness, amen. Let the Spirit of the Lord, oh, let the Spirit of the Lord touch our heart. Amen. And let us live this at home. Let us live this on the job. Let us live this when nobody else is around that from the church or whatever that's looking. I just want to do this because it's the right thing. Why? Because I'm leaving some footprints. I'm leaving some tracks in the sand and I want them to follow. It, it, we can't build a healthy church without healthy families. Hear me. It begins with the father surrendering himself to God's call and being the leader that God has commanded them to be. A mother can stand in the gap and many mothers have thank God for that many mothers can stand in a gap but a mother cannot fulfill the role of a father amen without husbands and wives working together as joint heirs in God's plan the church is somehow crippled and and will continue downward until the people choose to obey God finally don't forget to enjoy your children and allow them to enjoy you enjoy them I promise you they're going to be gone faster than you can dare imagine a vapor of time enjoy them and let them enjoy you let them enjoy you I'm sure or at least I hope every child has some funny stories they remember their father and they don't have to think hard but they're 
they're surface memories of things that have happened through the years that we enjoy one another, not only in their, children, in their childhood, but also into their adulthood. Fatherhood is designed to be fun for the children and fun for the dads. I know that times we're called on to be a disciplinarian and times we're called on to make hard decisions, but we also need to let the lighter side show. Now, I do want to say one final thing to every father here this morning. And I want you to think this out. I'll say it slow. I want you to think this out, and I trust if you take anything away from this service, it will be at least this. Open your mind. Take down your shield of defense for just a moment. It is possible to love someone that you don't respect. Just let that marinate a moment. You can, our children can love us just because we're their father. Do you know children love, and I'm using the word love in the broadest sense, but there are children that love their fathers that they've rarely even met. Absentee fathers. But they love them. Why? Because they fulfill a role in their life. That's my dad. And I know he didn't always get it right, but they have some measure of love. So you can love someone and not respect them. Because as children grow up, they realize that they weren't there. They didn't make right decisions. They didn't get it right. But I've got this measure of love. However, you can't respect someone that you don't love without loving them. Because when you respect someone, Love just comes along for the trip. (laughs) And so I I don't want my son to just love me because it's entirely possible for him to just love me because I'm his father. But what I really want is for him to respect me. Does this make sense, gentlemen? Because if our sons and daughters respect us, they will automatically love us. And the only way somebody can be respected is to live a respectable life. Amen. Now we all go through, all children, or most all children, go through that squirrely season where they're ashamed of their parents no matter who they are. If you're taking them to school, they want to be dropped off five blocks before you get there. We can walk. It's not raining that hard. (laughs) We've all been there. And so at some point in your life, your children are going to just want to distance themselves from you. But just hang on because they're coming back. And if they really respect us, But in order for them to respect us, we must give them something respectable. 
And so they need to respect, be able to respect us in the roles that we play in, our, in their lives, whether that role is their father or their mother's husband or a friend or a neighbor. Gentlemen, the bar is set high and Jesus set the bar. But he said he would give us power to become. <laughs> power to become. And so on April the 8th, 1985, a little boy was placed in my hands. And I had the title, Father. I didn't even know how to hold him. I didn't know how to change him. I didn't know how to feed him. I didn't know how to answer the questions that would come. But the Lord said, I'll give you the ability to become. He said, I'll give you the power to become. And so if we'll yield ourselves and stay under the umbrella of his grace, and I know I've taken some extra liberty here today, but if we will stay under the umbrella of his anointing, he will allow us to become what we need to be. If you're not there yet, don't throw in the towel. This hasn't been a message of condemnation get out of the way or get ran over. No, no, no. This has been a message to say, come on. If you've drifted off the road, get back on the road. Come on, let's go together. God will give us the power to become. Let's stand. Can we lift our hands and just love the Lord today? Amen. He's a great God, and I'm thankful for his word. Thankful for his strength. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.